All right. So let's pray. Father, this morning is yours. I thank you that you are under and above and around everything that is said, that is talked about. Lord, would your word be clear to us today? Would you give us open hearts to your message? Would you give us full access to your spirit? I pray that you would take down any wall in us that would prevent us from hearing what you're saying. Lord, it's not about what I say. Um, It's your spirit. So, Holy Spirit, come. I thank you that today matters only because you come. Amen. Christmas is a time of great expectations, great anticipations. There's excitement in the air. Almost everywhere you go, there's excitement of what's to come, what's next, the season that you're in. Christmas, above all other seasons, is full of expectations. And we know that not all of the expectations are good. Because the reality is, not every family gathering is going to be a blessing. Especially if they go over four hours. Right? Then it just gets a little weird. No? Nobody? I got to call all your families, tell them they go eight hours. But Christmas is all about expectations. And one of the dangers of the things that we expect is when we get into the moment, it doesn't always end up being what we thought it would be. For instance, in just a micro example of that, we decided we would let, which Sam broadcasted to the church during worship, uh, we would let him sleep in our bed last night. And so... I've never seen a child get ready for bed faster and more obediently than that. He was almost robotic about it, uh, except that he was flailing around his pajamas and he had a a different top and a different bottom. But he was on, he was going, because this excitement, I get to be in mom and dad's bed. But the problem is when he finally got there, so the, the motivator of this expectation was, this is going to be awesome. I'm in mom and and dad's bed. I never get to be there. This is going to be the best night ever. But when he got there, he couldn't actually walk it out because he was overcome by the excitement in itself. As he started headbutting the headboard instead of falling asleep because he was running from the foot to the head at full speed and hitting the headboard. and, And so the problem was this expectation of I get to be in this place that I never get to be, it's this great treat. It wasn't long he ended up in his own bed. Because that just wasn't working. Just wasn't going to happen. So his expectations didn't really come to pass. And unfortunately, this is how it is for all of us. We have these huge expectations on life. And it doesn't always go that way. What I want to talk to you about 
this week and for Christmas is Christ who we celebrate at Christmas time. We will never over anticipate what he can deliver on. We can never overestimate who Christ is. In every situation, our best guess will be simply not close to what he actually delivers on. He is our greatest expectation because he always lives up and surpasses what we think could happen. He's the only thing we can say that about. Jesus is better than our greatest expectations. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to look at three characters in Luke chapter 2. And I want to look at their stories and I want to examine how each of them come to an expectation of who Jesus is and how he surpasses these things. Because what it was true for them is true for us as well. In that Christ will always surpass the things we think of him. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Luke chapter 2. And we're going to go through a, a whole chunk of verses, and it's going to be okay. It's Luke 22, or chapter 2, verse 22 to 38. So it's a bunch of verses, we're going to break them down. And my, my goal is that we would look at the three different groups of characters in this story. We're going to look at his parents, Joseph and Mary. And their expectations. We're going to look at the expectations of Simeon. The priest who was able to dedicate him to the Lord. And we're going to look at the prophetess Anna. Who was there to experience all these things. After waiting so long. So I want to look at these three characters. And see how what they thought Jesus was. Was expanded. Was expanded in actually coming to grips. And experiencing him in their lives. So why don't we do that? We're going to start from the beginning of the story. So 22 to 24. And it says this. When the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So here's where we're at in the story of Jesus going to the temple. This is his first time going to the temple. He's with his parents. It's about a month after the shepherds came following the star, which Rob talked about last week. So Jesus is about 40 days old. So he's seeing about this far in front of his face. His hearing's pretty good. He's flailing around like 40-year-old, 40-day-old uh, babies do, right? So it's just this little baby. But what are his parents doing? His parents are being obedient simply to the law of the day. The law of Moses said, after the Passover, each firstborn is dedicated to the Lord. Now, not all firstborns have to go to him like Samuel did, but they need to be redeemed. 
So they need to go to the temple. There is a ceremony. There is an offering. Right? And then to the Lord. The firstborn is still his. While still stays with his parents. It's just a, it's a ceremony that every parent did. It's kind of like the vaccines that we send all our kids through. The betrayal shots. Yes? Our kids will always, they won't remember them, but if they did, those would be points in time that they would say, my parents betrayed me with a very sharp needle and they didn't try to stop it. But it's this thing that we wouldn't think of. It would be also closely to a baby dedication, which we're going to do in like a month and a half. They're dedicating Jesus to the Lord. And so it's this, this, it's this simple act of obedience that Mary and Joseph are doing. This is what we do. But Jesus, always being greater than our expectations, there's more going on in the story than that. The law of Moses says the firstborn is the Lord's. So why would the Son of Man, the only Son of God, having been with God for all eternity, need to be rededicated back to God? Where He was half God as it was. It's the same reason that He needed to be baptized. Why would the sinless Son of God need forgiveness of sins through early baptism by John? He hadn't sinned. There was no sin in Jesus at the time of His baptism. But Jesus Himself says, this is for righteousness' sake that I do this. Because Jesus knew when He was grown that He was paving the way for a new man. A new man in the second covenant that would live by faith in Jesus, living off of all the things that He accomplished. And so He showed people the way. And so it's a little hard to see this, but Mary and Joseph simply thought their son was being dedicated to the Lord. This is what we do. How much understanding they had of who this child was and what he had to do was yet to be seen. But in this, Jesus, even as a little baby, was accomplishing so much more than what they would have thought. There was so much more going on than a simple ceremony. He was paving the way as the true firstborn child of God. That all of us and all of humanity that call Jesus Lord would follow from that point on. And like his baptism, he was obeying for the sake of all of us. And so Mary and Joseph would have thought, we're just doing the right thing. It even says this at the end of the passage. Verse 39, when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee. So while they were being faithful to what they knew to be true, Jesus was accomplishing infinitely more than what they saw going on. So the parents of the Holy Child of God, 
or seeing just a glimpse of what he was doing. Isn't that true? As we put ourselves in the shoes of Mary and Joseph, sometimes all we can see is enough to be obedient. And that's okay. It's okay to simply walk out that obedience and trust the Lord to accomplish infinitely more in that. So that's the first way that I believe that Jesus really went above and beyond in their expectations. He took this simple ceremony and he was laying the groundwork for a full redemption of humanity, going as the front runner, the, the first child. It says in Colossians 1 And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that, is every, that in everything he might be preeminent. Preeminent. So Jesus takes our expectations and he works immeasurably more in them. The second thing he does as we look further, we look at the story of Simeon in this passage. And Simeon is the main character. Most of it is about Simeon. Simeon, as far as we know, and it's interesting that there's this passage that is so significant to the life of Jesus. And it's full of characters that that's the only time you ever hear of them. Simeon is nowhere else in the Bible. Anna, who we're going to see a little after it, is nowhere else in the Bible. They're extended in years. They're faithful. They call Simeon righteous and devout. Let's read that passage that introduces Simeon. It's 25 to 27. And it says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout waiting for the consolation, waiting for the rescue of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came into the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do to him for him according to the custom of the law. So Simeon, a priest, a part of the ceremony for Jesus, devout and righteous, full of the Holy Spirit. And in him is this precious promise from God. That thing that you desire so greatly to see the Christ, you will not depart before you witness it. And it's, in a lot of ways, it's not hard for us to put us in Simeon's shoes. Has God promised us things in our life? Do we have to wait for them? How do we wait for them? Can we trust Him when they haven't come to pass? Because if Simeon was human at all, he would have played this out in his mind. He would have taken that promise of God and went over it and over it and over it and over it. And wondered and wondered. We are a wondering people. When is it going to happen? What's it going to look like? And by the way, when is it going to happen? I'm getting on in years and it hasn't happened yet. I'm still being righteous. I'm still being devout. But I haven't seen the Christ yet. Was Simeon 
righteous and devout because of the promise of God? Or was the promise of God in him enabling him to be righteous and devout? And really, it doesn't matter. Because the end result would be that this promise of God, that you will see my Christ, the very thing that all of your nation is yearning for, was the very DNA in which Simeon's heart worked at all. Because if you get a promise from the Lord, that changes you. It changes you and it puts him in a very vulnerable situation. Think of the vulnerability of Simeon in this. Think of what was riding on this encounter. If God says, you will see my Christ. You won't pass before you see him. Think of the expectations. Like anything short of who knows what is a letdown at that point. And this is the part that really gets me about this whole story. All these expectations of Simeon. All these confirmations of the Holy Spirit. Living the right way. Led by the Spirit on the right day. Is in that moment. God took Jesus. The very promise that Simeon was waiting for. And dropped him in his arms. And as Simeon held this little baby. Every promise of him and the nation were in his arms. I considered this week as I thought about it. Was he holding a little tight? Was he hardly holding at all? I remember my uncle when we had our son and... We gave, we gave him to my uncle, and he was kind of like holding him like, wasn't quite sure. He'd had children, I don't know what his excuse was, but I wondered, what kind of posture did Simeon take? Because it doesn't say. But the preciousness of this child, which represented an amazing promise from God, that wasn't just for Simeon, but for all of the people. It's incredible. This very baby was the consolation, the comfort, the rescue of his people. Amazing thing. But God keeps his promises. No matter how long we have to wait for them. God keeps his promises. And I believe that for Simeon... God shattered his expectations. As great as he thought holding the very Son of God, the Savior of the world, that would redeem all of his people would be, I think it wasn't even close when he finally did. And this is Jesus. All that we expect him to be, he will be greater than every single time. Every single time. After receiving the baby, he says this prayer in verse 29. 
prayer of gratitude, a prayer of thanksgiving. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. That you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles. And for glory to your people Israel. Could his eyes have ever seen anything the same again? In this he shares the whole story. The whole message of why Jesus came. One man, a salvation to redeem all peoples. It's interesting that he talks about Jews and Gentiles here. Letting everybody know that Jesus had come for everybody, all people. I don't know how Simeon's not a mess at this point. Maybe he was, it wasn't written. But this was... In the prayer that he says, this was Christ's whole mission. 2 Corinthians 5 says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. This is what Simeon was holding. This is what Simeon had been waiting for. A God that had come to reconcile the whole world. I'm just continually impacted that the magnitude of this baby that fit in your arms. And in that moment, God satisfied every promise He had made to Simeon. Every promise. It's incredible. Then He goes to this prophecy to the parents in verse 33. And His father and mother marveled at what was said about Him. I'm sure at this point, Mary and Joseph were quite overwhelmed. They had had a fairly wild ride. Whether it's the birth in the stable, the shepherds coming. They had a little bit, a little bit of time in between the shepherds and the temple here. But now the son is being welcomed and prophesied as the redeemer of the whole world. Simeon blessed them and said to the mother, mother is, uh, Mary is mother, sorry. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for a sign that is opposed, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And the sword will pierce through your own soul also. Here again, Simeon is just speaking absolute truth about this baby. Absolute truth. Because as we see, as we read through further in the life of Jesus, it was the rise and fall of everyone. There was no middle ground with Jesus. There was no sitting on the fence. 
There was no feeling it out. There was no gray area with him. He caused many to rise and many to fall. Most of the people that wanted, that saw him wanted him to redeem them from the Romans. When is he going to start sacking cities and taking over all the things we've lost? That's the Messiah we wanted. And he never did that. Because he had a greater mission than that. 1 Corinthians 1.23 says, But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. Didn't Jesus himself say he would bring division? He would divide families? Because there's no middle ground with him. So as Simeon says, the fall and rise of many. He's speaking quite truthfully. And in this, he confirms the beautiful prayers of the people that have already gone before. The beautiful prayer of Mary. The beautiful prayer of Zechariah. Mary says, He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Mary, knowing who this Jesus was, knew what God was doing through him. Zechariah says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. You see, we're governed by expectations that come in a little bit of a different way than this situation. Our expectations come from the things we see on commercials. The things we read about in the news. The things we see on billboards. Here's what a good Christmas should look like. And that plays with our expectations. We watch a home building show. Here's what a good home should look like. Changes our expectations. But God in sending Jesus as a, as a baby relied on His Holy Spirit for all expectations. That was His billboard. That was His advertisement. The Holy Spirit speaking through other people. And these great people of the faith, devout Israel, calling in and giving their amen to Jesus' coming. But there was Anna yet. And Anna, I was never quite sure how she fit with the whole story. Because one of the translations I was reading doesn't really say. Just say she's there. She's excited. So I went to a different translation. And verse 38 said, came along just as Simeon was talking. So who is Anna? Let's read. 36 to 38. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years, for when she was a virgin. 
and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshipping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and speak of Him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Here's this aspect of waiting. How long had Anna been waiting? Some translations say she's actually not 84, she's 107. Because she wasn't 84 years old, she'd been a widow for 84 years. Regardless, that puts her at over 60 years in the church almost day and night. Now it says day and night fasting and praying and I thought, okay, well, she's going to run out of steam. But what the Bible is trying to tell us is she was there all the time. All the time. Every prayer meeting, every soup and bun, always there, every time. Both services, even the Thursday ones where it's a meeting, right? She was at everything. She was fully invested. She had given herself totally to God. Totally to God. And so she came across this scene as Simeon blesses and prophesies over this baby Jesus and to his parents. And she instantly becomes the world's first female missionary. Because how does she respond? She began to give thanks to God in in verse 38 and speak of Him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem, which would be her as well. This redemption of Jerusalem. And Anna is another person I think we can sympathize with. How long... Had Anna been waiting? How long? How long do we have to wait sometimes? Long time. You know, the world wants to give us wants to give us many scenarios in which we end well. Winning a championship, then retiring. That's one of the best, they say. Going out on top. And I believe Anna beat them handily. Here's Jesus that was worth the wait. Every expectation, every experience of this little baby was worth all those years serving and waiting and praying and hoping and fasting and wondering all these years and he was worth it every year every year waiting Jesus was worth it but this story in time is relevant Because although Jesus was only born once, only dedicated at the temple once, it's the same expectation that fuels us, that is alive in us today. 
It's the same expectation that we can be in agreement with Mary and Joseph, with Anna, with Simeon. We can be in agreement with them. That whatever we expect of Jesus, He's going to surpass every single time. Here are just a few ways that we can expect well. The first is simply taking a book out of the character's pages. We need to expect that Jesus will come in our everyday life. The truth is, the first thing we can always do to be in the will of God is to simply be the people He's called us to be. Regardless if we think that puts us in the best position to experience Him or not. Because He is in charge of those details. The second that we try to change our lives and make things happen, how do we know that we're still in the will of God? There's a lot of safety in us just being who God's called us to be. If we be who God has called us to be, we will be in His will and we won't miss Him. You won't miss Him in your everyday life if that is where God has called you to be. And we don't want to miss Him. So we want to expect Him in our everyday lives. Secondly, we want to stay expecting a second coming. And I think this is where we actually have Simeon beat. If you want to rate it that way, which I don't know if pleases the Lord, but... This second coming is when Jesus will finalize everything that he started. There will be no more doubt in the world of who's Lord. We will see him face to face without a veil. There'll be no distractions, no distortions. We'll see him clearly. Simeon and Anna watched and waited for a Messiah. We can watch and wait for a victorious king as well. He will be our victorious king. And we need to stay watching and waiting. Is he going to find us in the temple on that day? Is he going to find us waiting well, holding on to the promises that he's coming back? The promise still remains. And he's going to be greater unimaginably greater than we could ever, ever consider. We often like to think aloud, this is what heaven's going to be. We're going to play backyard football, and I'm never going to drop a pass, not one time. Heaven's going to be awesome. And in that, Jesus is going to pale everything any sort of expectation that we want to paint on eternity is not it's not there and it's fine to consider these things but eternity with Jesus it's going to be amazing thirdly we don't want to give up how long did Anna wait? How long did Simeon wait? They weren't young people. 
They weren't young people. And yet, when they finally did meet Jesus, this promised Savior, it made all that waiting worthwhile. They wouldn't have regretted a single moment that they had to wait. It's the same thing with us. And we often do have to wait for the Lord. We have to wait for Him when we're sick. We have to wait for for Him in our relationships, in our finances. But He always comes through. And we need to live well in those moments. 1 Corinthians says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. So glorify God with your body. We glorify God with our bodies by walking the right way, walking in His Holy Spirit, staying away from the temptations and sin of the world, keeping ourselves pure for Him, consecrated for Him. In that we wait well. Fourthly, we allow ourselves to be like a child again. And Christmas, almost more than any other season of life, gives us the very best and the very worst of our kids. Because sometimes it gets a little off track on Christmas morning. Right? Sometimes it gets a little fleshy, we'll say. But I think there is much to learn from, the, from seeing the excitement and anticipation of our kids at Christmas. We would do well to approach the Lord with some of that anticipation and excitement. What if we were to count sleeps to Sunday morning? It's only five sleeps till Sunday. Then I get to worship with all my friends and family. Only four sleeps. How many sleeps? Oh, it's only four. I got four sleeps yet? Four sleeps before I can go worship with my... Four sleeps? How am I going to make that? I can't wait that long. There's an anticipation that honors the things that we anticipate. And the greater we look forward to something, we honor that thing. To live a life of anticipation and expectation that is over the top is to make much of the thing that we're waiting for. We can honor the Lord in taking a page out of our kids' books and anticipating like a child. Lastly, allowing ourselves to dream because Christ will surpass every one of our dreams. We've all been given imaginations And they're powerful, and they can be destructive, and they can be really wonderful. But we need to let God work and speak and operate and move and excite and fascinate us in our imaginations. We need to allow ourselves to dream, God, what are you what could you do with this? We've already started doing that with the building. What could this be? God, what could you accomplish in this? And we pray and we invite the Lord to speak and we trust Him in our imaginations. We know that we can go off track when we let ourselves think too long. So it's important to invite the Lord into those moments. Not simply to let our minds wander aimlessly, 
but to allow Him to speak in our minds. First Peter 1, 18 and 19 says, Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the pre- precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. This is one last closing reflection. How high was the cost of Christ's redemption to the world? How high did he, what did they pay? Because the value of anything is determined by the cost. Whatever somebody is willing to pay indicates what the value is. So you go on Amazon or wherever they bid. I don't know if they bid on Amazon, but wherever you can bid, eBay, right? eBay, thank you. I don't know these things. Okay? And so you put this old pair of sneakers on there, right? So you know the value is probably I pay you $10 and you pick them up. That's probably the value. Negative 10 and I hand them to you. Or I drive to where you are in Texas, I give you $10, we'll just call it square. But really, the value is determined by what people are willing to pay for it. So the odd chance that people bid $50, whether you like it or not, those runners are now worth $50. Simply say this to the cost that God paid through His Son tells us of the value of who we are to Him and what He has in store for us yet to come. So in this expectation of who Jesus is and why He came and all the power and significance in this little baby, if we remember the cost, it sets us up well to understand what to expect. It was so valuable for God to redeem us to Himself, to make a people unto His own, that He gave His very Son to be rejected and tortured and killed. What can we expect from a value of that? Because God gave everything that we would have Christ. Everything. And I think that's where we start. The cost of our redemption, the cost of right relationship with God, to be called sons and daughters was the very blood of Jesus. And that's, that's where we start. That's the baseline of all that God wants to do. But my prayer is that we would expect great things and anticipate that as high as we can expect, God will always deliver greater. Yes, today, but also in the future that's going to come. Why don't we pray? Lord, I thank you for this time coming under your word. I thank you for your son, Jesus, that you so selflessly gave. 
I thank you, Lord, that we can never expect too much from you. You'll always surpass. You'll always be working more. You're always worth the wait. Lord, would you knit this truth in our heart, not simply as something we know, but that's something that we experience day after day with you. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. Help us to remember these things in this Christmas season. Amen.